Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. everyone. It's great to be here today and I truly mean it when I say I think there's no better place to be on a Sunday morning than here gathered together at church and especially over the past few Sundays, I don't know about you, but just being back together at our church home at Oriwa College, it's been quite special and it just really sense like God moving amongst us and I don't know about you but like on Saturday nights I've been like buzzing and just so excited to get to church and kind of like a little kid at Christmas time so really cool to be here today and thanks team for leading us in such beautiful worship as well and it's just cool to be able to hang out and so I've been hanging out at Coast myself for the past five or so years um my maths isn't reliable, so something around that figure. Um, and as Stanley mentions, the past wee while I've also been on staff coordinating our community ministry activity, which involves we run our community meals, we've got our um, basketball youth program and our budgeting positive self-worth courses with Steps Forward and just a few other things in terms of practically supporting people in our community. And so for those who don't know me that well, so just a little bit about myself. So I have grown up on the coast, um, so very much a proud born and raised coastie. And um, I think it is the best corner of the world. It's a very special place, no bias. Um, And I also grew up going to Kingsway, so shout out to the Kingsway kids out there. I know that there are a few of you. Yeah, see you, Hannah. Um, Yes, and then when I left school, I was initially in this space where I was unsure, like, what next, and was a bit confused about where to go, but I ended up studying, um, or choosing to study politics and international relations, and then also, um, at the same time, I stepped into the local politics space with local local council um, and set up a charity shop, and this was my intro into the charity space, um, which leads me to where I am today, and I love doing what I'm doing, and that is managing a youth mentoring program as well as working in the community space with church. So that's just a little bit of context um, from my life, but I don't claim to be an expert in it by any means, and I would say I'm very much still a learner, but one of the things that I have tried to cultivate over the years is saying yes to God and where it is that I think he is leading and calling me to. And whilst this isn't always easy, I would say that there's no other position I would want to be in than pursuing the good life according to God and what he says, as opposed to the world's definition of a good life, which we see um, looks like pursuing fame or wealth, comfort and pleasure at all costs. And as I've been thinking about today, this is what's really been on my heart. And I want to encourage us in the space of knowing the truth of Jesus and the good life that he has for us in our cultural moment, which means this point of time that he has destined us to live in. And in a moment, we see that truth is very much up to us to determine for ourselves. And also there's this heavy emphasis or focus on life being revolved around the South at the center. And this is like everywhere in terms of advertisements and social media. 
But I don't know about you, but one thing that I don't want is that pressure of having to figure out life in my own strength and the meaning of life in my own wisdom and understanding. And what I love is that if we look to Jesus, we find a very clear vision for life, hope and purpose for humanity. And I think that's pretty compelling. So today, I want to talk to us about this idea of the father of lies versus the king of truth. It'll make sense in a moment, but before we get there, I'd just love it if we pray, if that's all good. Cool. All right. Father God, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for how you're moving in us as a community. And just Holy Spirit, we invite you here into this place. We say, have your way, do what only you can do, and would you bring new revelation, new hope, and understanding today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we are jumping straight into the Bible today, and we are going to be hanging out in the book of John for anyone who has their Bibles on hand. Now, the book of John is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament. And just to set the scene a little for the book, there's a really helpful verse which is said right at the end of this book, which is John 20, verse 31. And this is kind of the summary of the purpose of what this book is about. And it goes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John is likely writing both to call unbelievers in faith to Jesus and to also provide confidence for believers who are struggling in their faith. And we see that he's writing in a time where there are opponents, um, people who are rising up in the church who are actually in wider society who are denying the truth of Jesus. However, John provides in this book many a story about the miracles of Jesus and the way in which um, Jesus has worked in his word and how we can take him at his word. So this just helps us understand the context of the passage that I want to dive in today, which is John 8, verse 31 to 44. Are we all good to get into it? Yeah? Cool. All right. So to the Jews who have believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is saying truth is found in him. And then they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What good news, right? And Jesus said to them just a little bit later down in the passage, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? And here is where Jesus gets a little more confronting. Because you are unable to hear what I say, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, 
for he is a liar and the father of lies. So I'm keen to break this passage down into two parts today. So we'll look at the father of lies and the king of truth. So let's start with part one, the father of lies. And just as we get into this, I'll just um, give a little disclaimer that this may feel like a heavy topic, but you can be reassured that there is light at the end of the tunnel. So just hold on. So have you noticed that we don't really talk too much about our enemy, the devil? And yes, his name is often blasted in songs and popular culture, and there's also a pizza shop named after his abode. However, are we aware of actually how the devil is moving in our world around us? Now, I believe it's important that we take the time to get to know our enemy, the devil, our opposition, and understand how he is working in our world and in our culture around us. And that's so that we, as um, people who may have said yes to Jesus, are not living life blindly. And from the outset of Jesus' public ministry, the theme of his teaching was on the kingdom of God. And in teaching about the kingdom, he also taught an awareness of evil and knowing that there is an enemy of God and humanity. So, yes, it's sounding lighthearted. Hope you guys are okay with that. But um, if you guys know me, you'll know that I like a little bit of basketball. Um, and a few years ago now, when I was playing for my school team, one of the things that my coach would used to do after our games was she would stay and watch the opposition, the team who we were scheduled to verse the following week. And in doing so, she was really intentional about studying the game, the strengths and weaknesses of the team, and that was in order that we, as a team in our training sessions leading up to our game when we were going to verse them, would be able to work on our offensive and defensive strategies to know how to hopefully set ourselves up for a win. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, actually, that's kind of the same dealio for our enemy, the devil that he has a game plan, all right, and his plan is to wreak havoc in our world, to spread lies, and as we just read, he is the father of lies, and that we need to know how he plays in order that we would have the right offensive and defensive strategies in place. So we're going to look into the game plan. So if we look at Jesus' teachings on the devil, we see there's a few implications of what he says. That number one, he is a real, immaterial, but intelligent being. Number two, his goal is to spread lies and ruin in our souls and society. And number three, sorry, his primary means is lies. And that's based on John 8 verse 44. That he has always hated the truth. And this is consistent with his character. It's who he is. He's a liar, the father of lies. Now, just to sprinkle a little bit hope here, um, we look at God, if we look to him, we see in Hebrews 6 verse 18 and Titus 1 verse 2 that it is actually impossible for God to lie. So that's where our hope lies. Now, there's a really good book that has stirred me in my thinking about this whole idea, and that's Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. Not sure if anyone's heard of it or read of the book. I know for some of our young adults, it's a book that we've been reading recently and been studying. And I would highly recommend this book, by the way. It's a great investment. And this book has some great wisdom and insight on the cultural moment and the way in which the enemy is moving. 
So in Live No Lies, it shares that there are three enemies of the soul, and that is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And essentially, you could classify it as like a counter-trinity to God himself. And here's what John Mark Comer has to say about the enemy's game plan. He says, The devil's goal is to first isolate us, then implant in our minds deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires, which we feel comfortable with because they are normalized by the status quo of our society. And specifically, he lies about who God is, who we are, and what the good life is with an aim to undermine our trust in God's love and wisdom. His intent is to get us to seize autonomy from God and redefine good and evil for ourselves thereby leading to the ruin of our souls and society. So what John Mark is saying here is that one of the most dangerous ways in which the enemy moves is through telling lies and deceit. And in fact, we see that this is his game plan all along. He was the pioneer of lies. And how do we know this? Well, we know this if we flick back a few pages in our Bibles and we go back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And we read about Eve being deceived into taking the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the process where she was doing life according and counter to God's will and his good intentions. So in Genesis 3, this is how the story goes. The serpent, Satan, is speaking. You will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And then a little bit later, in response to God, Eve says, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So this is the story which is known as the fall. And this is the context for the world that we live in. We live in a sinful society. Not that we necessarily have politicians or sociologists or philosophers agreeing, but this is where sin came in and we had the fall. And we see that the enemy is still very much in the business of spreading lies and deceit. And we see this battle at play between knowing God's truth and believing what he says as opposed to the lies that the enemy is spreading within our culture and in our society. So we're going to look at a couple of these cultural lies today. And I know there's also more specific personal lies that we're confronted with, but I'd love to just focus on two dominant cultural lies. So the first lie that runs rampant in our culture is that there is no truth. Has anyone heard of this? Yeah? So in academic terms, we live in what we call a postmodern, post-Christian era. Um, And so post-Christian just means that in the past and times gone by, Christianity, particularly in the West, was um, accepted as a a good religion. But but now we live in a time where we accept some of the values of Christianity, but we reject its authority. 
And then we also live in a society where truth is subjective, individualized, and there are no grand meta-narratives for our society. And grand meta-narratives just means an overarching account or interpretation of events and circumstances that provide a structure um, for beliefs and gives meaning to our experiences. So you could say that truth these days is not really determined by an external force, so like a god or a deity, but it is individualized. So you can have your truth and I can live my truth and we're told that we'll live happily ever after in this way. But one of the things that I think is that this thinking, this narrative, in general lacks hope and it lacks purpose and it lacks security. And it seems to me like we, and when I say we, our society, are trying to be like Eve, taking fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And because we can determine truth for ourselves, we are attempting to define good and evil for ourselves, and living life as fully autonomous individuals. Which leads me to another lie that we believe, and that is life is all about the self and self-fulfillment. So in the past, we see that Christianity was a guiding force for moral values and providing direction for the good life. But our cultural moment preaches that you can determine what is right and wrong, that you can live by your feelings and your desires, and any external authority is actually oppressive, and there's no ultimate meaning to life beyond personal happiness. But this according to the Bible, is actually another lie that is running rampant in our culture and society, where many are trying to orient their lives with the self at the center, not God. And you may go as far to call it or term it a religion of the self. Now, to come back a little bit more directly to our study of the enemy's game plan. So there's a wonderful book written by a renowned Christian author who you've may be aware of, and that's C.S. Lewis. And this book is the Screwtape Letters, and this is written back in 1942. And um, C.S. Lewis is writing from a satirical perspective and where he's putting himself in the mindset of the enemy. He's um, talking as if he was a senior demon, and the name is Mr. Screwtape. And as he's speaking to his apprentice, his nephew Wormwood, about the enemy's game plan. And this is what he says. We must picture hell as a state where everyone is perpetually concerned about his own dignity and advancement, where everyone has a grievance, and where everyone lives with the deadly, serious passions of envy, self-importance, and resentment. So in short, the devil would have us believe that we can live our lives according to our own way, our own truth. And he will deceive us, just as he did to Eve in the garden, that you can find wisdom for yourself and that you don't need God. But for us, um, and if you've made the decision here today to follow Jesus, I think that we need to be really mindful and to have our guard um, up against the lies at play in this postmodernist and hyper-individualist cultural moment that we live in. And the Bible itself has some great encouragement for us on this very idea. So we read in Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 14, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground. And then in 1 Peter 5, verse 8 to 9, we read, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. So guys... Um, let's take our stand, eh? And how do we do so? Well, we do so by looking to Jesus, the King. So this leads us to part two, the King of truth. So just to recap, so far we've identified the opposition. We're aware of their strategies and tactics to win over our souls and our world. But now it's time to get familiar with our coach, their credentials, and their game plan. So let us set our eyes on Jesus, his spirit and truth. So we're going to head back into John 8. And in verse 32, we read, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And in John 14, verse 6, we read, and this is Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's where it gets good, the light at the end of the tunnel that I was talking about. So when we know the truth about Jesus, we can step into the fullness of life that he has for us. And Jesus, while he sees our primary war against the devil, is a fight to believe truth over lies, and truth about what God says about us and the good life that he has for us. So firstly, let's look at counteracting lie number one, and that lie was that there is no truth. So we see that if we take God at his word, then we are told that we will know the truth, and that truth is found in Jesus, and that Jesus is king. So what does this mean in real terms? Well, this means for us that Jesus is on the throne, that he was crucified on the cross, resurrected from the grave, and ascended to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. And this is the truth according to Scripture, which means that we are set free from our sins, hallelujah, and that we have hope for eternity. And in the end, all other rulers will be conquered, and that he alone will reign supreme as king and lord of the earth. And that there is no other power who can oppose him and win, that we are on the winning team. Good news, right? So just as a side note, one thing that I have noticed in our cultural moment, so in this time um, that we're living in, and especially over this global pandemic, is that politics has been far more dominant in our society than maybe times gone by. Now, I don't say this with any political agenda at all. Please hear my heart here. Um, but one thing um, that I would just, just simply ask the question or something to ponder on is whether a political ideology has been your metaphorical king. 
Now, the reason in which I ask this is because I'm actually speaking from personal experience. Um, so I mentioned earlier that I studied politics at university. And when I went into to my degree, I was thinking that politics was a tool to save the world and that if we get government and policies sorted, then everything will be right, everything will be good um, and easy. And whilst it's really important that we do have people with godly wisdom speaking into the political space, one of the things that I realized that I was more focused on the politics, on the ideology, as opposed to knowing the king himself. And both go hand in hand. So it gets a little bit hairy when we start to dethrone Jesus um, because that's where things happen and we go our own way, right? So this isn't for everyone, but just a little maybe heart check moment to see whether you may be more loyal to a political ideology or to the king himself and his teachings. Okay, back on track now. So coming back to Jesus and his truth and his way. So when we know the truth about the Jesus, we experience the goodness and the fullness of life in him. So what does this mean? Well, it means that we experience his grace, his mercy, his peace in turbulent times. We can know hope for tomorrow and for eternity, and we can know joy and his unconditional love, all these really good things. And the beauty about our King Jesus is that he doesn't just sit in his throne room. He isn't an absent, distant king, but he is actually really keen and wants to partner and journey alongside us and to do this daily, to do life with us and see his kingdom come in our lives and in our world around us. Sounds like a pretty cool king, yeah? Yeah. So to know the truth over the lies that rule our culture... We need to keep coming to Jesus. And this is a daily thing, to come to Jesus. And John Mark Homer, coming back to Live No Lies, he has some great encouragement for us on this very point. And this is what he says. And again, this is our responsibility, to turn our attention to God all through our days and weeks, to think of him and to think deeply of him and rightly of him in line with Jesus' vision of God as a Trinitarian community of self-giving, creative, generous, calm, loving, joy, and delight. What beautiful words, right? And he says, allowing Jesus' incredibly compelling vision of who God is gives shape to who we become. And this is not the drudgery of religion or onerous obligations, Remember, we are already filling our minds with inputs all day long. And many of those inputs are creating in us hearts that are fractured, anxious, distracted, and angry. But when we curate our attention on Jesus and allow the flow of his thoughts into our minds, we begin to experience his peace, his love, and his compassion for all, and his deep, pervasive joy. We become calmer, more loving, and plain happier just by abiding. Some pretty cool encouragement, eh? So how do we combat the lies that infiltrate our culture and our society and make our minds and hearts fractured? Well, we do so by coming to Jesus. And there are a few spiritual disciplines that can actually help us in this process. So there's silence and solitude, 
prayer and fasting, and reading scripture. So for me, um, one thing that I've particularly tried to lean into more of this year is the practice of silence and solitude. And I've devoted afternoons to driving to a distant place, well actually that was probably more so early on the year where fuel prices were a bit more kinder to us, now I just find a nice local spot. Um, but I would go to a place where I could be free of distractions and just sit and be with Jesus. And it has turned out to be my favorite time of the week. I have found peace for my soul, renewed perspective, and circumstantial contentment, which is kind of amazing because I'm a person who really struggles to sit still. I get very fidgety. So to actually sit and devote some time to just being and leaning into God's presence has been a big win for me and a big learning. Um, but I now protect and guard this time because it just isn't the same when I don't have my Jesus time, where the weights of the world just feel oh so light in comparison to the glory, and we were singing about the glory, right, of our Savior and our King and our friend Jesus. So then to address the second lie in our culture, that life is all about the self and self-fulfillment. Well, if we are to pursue the good life that Jesus had for us, has for us, and according to his word, then we see that life is actually not about the self, and that life for, with the Jesus way actually involves dying to the self. And so what does this mean? This means that we do not live our lives in service to ourselves, but into God and to others. And again, coming back to Mr. Screwtape, he has some insight on the benefits of this idea. And this is what he says. When God talks of their losing of their selves, he means only abandoning the clamor of the self-will. And once they have done that, he really gives them back all their personality and boasts, I'm afraid ever so sincerely, that when they are wholly his, they will be more themselves than ever. And again, don't just take Mr. Screwtape's word for it. If we look to Matthew 10, verse 39, we read, If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And in other words, the message translation puts it like this. If you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and you look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. So I don't know about you, but I kind of find this verse a little uncomfortable because it feels a bit countercultural to forget about yourself, which involves not being fixated on pleasing your own personal desires or seeking pleasure, and I guess living life according to our own truth. But what we read about here is that this is the Jesus way. And he promises that he will actually give us life to the full in him if we follow his lead. So instead of a religion of, our self, of the self, we put on a new self and we are made anew in Jesus. And Jesus, his way, well, it's not a vision of comfort, but instead we see it as a vision and it's a life made of courage, of adventure, and sacrifice. And it's focused on furthering his kingdom and not our own kingdom. 
So can I just say, based on personal experience, um, well, little experience that I've had over the years, that this is really the most fulfilling life. And this is where true fulfillment lies. But it does involve giving up trust. Oh, sorry, it does re- involve relinquishing control and get, putting trust in God. So in late 2019, when we were blissfully unaware of all that was about to hit us in 2020, can anyone remember those days? It seems like a while ago. Um, I was in, a, well, I found myself in a tricky spot and a spot where I was figuring out kind of what to do with life whether to continue in the comfortable role I was in at the time on the local council or to take a step into the unknown and respond to what I felt like God was prompting me to for that season. And in my decision-making process at the time, I realized that if I was actually to continue along the path I was going on, I was being more propelled by selfish ambition as opposed to, to anything else. And I realized as well that I was a bit more excited by the personal kudos that came with the role of being elected representative. And so in that process, I realized that I actually needed to step down and to not go down that path. And now, standing where I am now, I could not be more amazed by how God has paved a path for me and orchestrated things that I couldn't come up with if I was living in accordance to my own will and perceived perception of the good life and selfish ambition. And then um, another story about Matt Wickens. Shout out to you, Matt. I know you're watching in from the live stream. So some of you may know Matt, and he is our new driver's license mentoring coordinator, um, which is really exciting that he's come on board. But this year, he has taken a huge step of faith. So he's left his um, comfortable role of being um, on the police. Well, not so comfortable, really. That's a pretty intense job. Sorry, delete that word. Um, But he has left his role of being in the police for 15 years. And he has made himself available to wherever it is that God is leading him. And so very much fortunately for us, that has led him to coming on board to set up a driver's license mentoring program, which has just been amazing to see the impact that he is having on the lives of people who may come from disadvantaged backgrounds and wouldn't otherwise have the tools or the support to be able to get their license. Um, But he has also got so many stories and awesome stories of how God is moving by the power of his spirit in his life. And that's all the result of Matt being obedient in his faith and just simply saying, here I am, God, here I am. And I know as well that there will be many other stories here of people choosing to lay down their agendas to pick up the Jesus agenda. And also, please hear my heart here. I am not saying go and quit and leave your jobs. No way. But rather, let's be mindful of cultivating a simple yes to where it is that we think God is leading us to. And we must remember that as we follow Jesus, the light of the world, that we too can shine his light to those around us. So to those in our community, to those in our workplace, to our friends and family, if you run your business or if you're at school, we can shine the light of Jesus to those in our circles. And as we partner with Jesus, we work together to bring his kingdom to earth 
and to help people see and to have hope in this cultural moment that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So just in closing, um, we'd love to invite the band to come up. I'm going to finish on a little bit of a hard note, but it is, it is a bit of truth, and that is following Jesus in this moment, in this cultural time that we live in, will feel like a war for our soul. Because let's face it, we are a cognitive minority, meaning that the majority does not share the same beliefs that we do. But my hope is today that you would feel enlightened to know what we're up against and be aware of the lies that can infiltrate our souls and our society, but to also be encouraged and to be encouraged to fight the good fight of the faith and energized to pursue the fullness of life that Jesus has for us. Because it's all about Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So just as we close, um, I would love to take a moment just to be able to sit in a space of reflection and allow the Holy Spirit to speak and to see what he may be saying to us today. And so as we take this moment, um, there's a few invitations that I'd also like to put out. And that is maybe you're here today and you haven't said yes to Jesus. And you may feel a stirring in your heart or maybe a sense of curiosity to know his truth and the freedom that he so generously gives. Or maybe you know of Jesus, but you have been busy living your life according to your own way, not the Jesus way. And maybe you feel like you need to come here today and just re-surrender to his will. And let's face it, that this is actually a daily process as well, but praise the Lord that his grace covers us daily. We all fall short. But then maybe you're here today and you are a committed follower of Jesus, but you realize the struggle of, in the battle of this moment. Well, then we'd also love to invite you forward and we can have someone stand with you and pray with you. So those are just a few things to ponder and think on today. And just we're going to allow the space for the Spirit to speak to us um, and have a moment of worship. So I'm going to pass it on back to Stanley, um, and he will take us away. Well, thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whanau or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services, online services, various resources and activities. Enjoy the day and be blessed.